there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one piercing page of Talmud every day. I'm going to admit something. When I read today's pages, Yevamot 111 and 112, it was one of these moments that happens from time to time when you read the Talmud, a text that contains multitudes, that left me feeling uneasy about one passage in particular. Have a listen. The Mishnah says, with regard to a deaf mute who married a halachically competent woman and a halachically competent man who married a deaf mute, if either man wants to divorce his wife, he may divorce her. And if he wants to maintain her as his wife, he may maintain her. The reason why a deaf mute man can divorce his wife is that just as he marries her by intimation, i.e. his marriage is not performed by explicit speech, as deaf mutes rely on gestures, so too he divorces her by intimation. This suggestion that there was something somehow different, somehow to the side, somehow incomplete about deaf mute people as they seek to engage in love and marriage and other human affairs troubled me. And so I have the privilege of welcoming to the show Rabbi Lauren Tuckman, a graduate of JTS and a rabbi in the Washington area. Rabbi Tuckman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Now, when you read something like this bit of Mishnah, what goes through your head? Am, am I wrong in kind of feeling a little bit uncomfortable, more than a little bit uncomfortable with it? Yeah, no. I mean, when I read a piece of Mishnah like this, I a swirl of emotions go through my head. One thing I'll say is that one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about these issues is I myself am blind. So of course, very different issues than the deaf community, but I'm the first blind woman in the world to become a rabbi. So I certainly had quite a bit of my own obstacles. I had quite a bit of my own um, navigation around disability issues, and I still do a lot of consulting on disability issues. And so when I think about a Mishnah like this, there are a couple of concepts that I think are important for us to elucidate. And I think it's important to elucidate these concepts because we have to ground ourselves in the context in which the Mishnah is coming from. And one of those ideas is the notion of da'at. Da'at is a very tricky concept. It literally means knowledge. Anyone who is familiar with the weekday Amidah knows that the fourth Braha, we specifically talk about da'at and being grateful for having been given da'at. But da'at for the rabbis is this idea of cognitive ability. We see this directly in the Mishnah, right? The notion of, I know that someone has da'at, has reasoning, has cognitive ability, based exclusively, it seems, on their ability to verbalize. And specifically, in this case, we're talking about kiddushin. Of course, we know that kiddushin is effectuated by a very particular formula. And so the assumption here is that because folks who are deaf are using quote-unquote gestures, and I'll get back to that in a second, therefore we don't imagine that the kiddushin is actually valid because it's not done in the way that the rabbis understand da'at to have been effectuated. And this goes back to an idea, I think, in um, general that we see in the Mishnah, and in the Gemara as well in lots of places, the da'at is one of the most important qualities and the most important things that human beings can have. And that's what allows us to determine whether or not we are competent, right? It says that directly in this Mishnah. And one of the many, many challenges with that is that we know today that communication occurs in lots of different ways. It's verbal, nonverbal, and of course, we know that sign language exists in the world as its own independent language. Um, there are many 
different kinds of sign languages, depending on which country you are in the world. And we know that those are independent, full-functioning, nonverbal visual languages. So when we think about this particular text, I think it's important for us to sit with our discomfort and for us to ask a lot of really hard questions. Ask questions about what do we think about language and communication? How do we assume that to be effectuated or achieved? And even more than that, why is this such a consideration? And thinking about also the effect that these kinds of things have on lived experience. That's something that I'm really passionate about, is thinking about how do our assumptions affect actual human beings? How does this assumption in the Mishnah, you know, we could say, well, obviously we don't follow this today. And we understand that, of course, deaf folks have da'at. And I'm going to get back to the idea of deaf mute in a second as well. But I think it's really important for us to actually ask ourselves really hard questions. Even if we ourselves would say, well, we don't follow this, that doesn't erase the fact that it's here in our text. And and for me, my intellectual orientation is I am much more interested in an honest engagement with what's difficult rather than saying, oh, we're at a different place today. This is no longer relevant. I don't think that's actually true. Right. I don't think that helps us because it allows us to, to let ourselves off the hook. If we say, oh, we live in such a more progressive time, we obviously don't think this way about deaf people anymore. It's obviously true that deaf folks should be fully included. What that actually does is it allows us to not examine the ways in which we are still not there yet and we have growing to do. Um, And so for me, that is a key question. In what ways are our values being reflected and in what ways are our values being absolutely not reflected by the text? Grappling with our own discomfort means that we have an opportunity to grow in really positive ways. And also, I mean, I, I've never thought about this, uh, but but it's fascinating, of course, to, to to hear you say that it really opens a far more seminal question, right? Uh, the question of that of of what actually does make for human cognition. What what is it that we're looking for when when we evaluate someone's you know capabilities and abilities to speak to express his or her mind? Uh, that is such a fascinating. Big question. Right. I mean, it's why, for example, in the Gemara, Rav Yosef, who's blind, and Rav Sheshet are both effectively seen as competent. We could, you know, have a longer conversation another time about the ways in which blind folks are not fully included rabbinically. However, it is undisputed that in the cases of Rav Yosef and Rav Sheshet, they are assumed to have da'at, and they are in the Beit Midrash, and they have, you know, scribes if they need them. But they're part of the project because their colleagues can communicate with them. And so they assume, oh, I can communicate with this person. This person clearly has da'at. Right. What a lot of us are interested in thinking differently about is – How is it that I can expand what I think of when I say the word communication? Because someone who is a native sign language speaker, someone who learns sign language later in life, that is simply another way of communicating and has nothing to do with a lack of dot, actually quite the opposite. And even before we, even before the hearing community really became aware that sign language existed, deaf folks were using signs in lots of different ways. So this is an opportunity for us to really challenge our assumptions about what is language and what is communication and how do we assess cognition, which is a really thorny 
issue, especially not only in terms of deaf folks that we're talking about in this context, but also for folks with intellectual disabilities. And even as a blind woman, people often think of lack of dots um, doesn't happen so often to me anymore, but it, it certainly is something I've experienced and lots of other blind people have as well. So we have to be really cognizant to check our own biases that we all carry. All of us have them somewhere. Our job as people in the world is to just be aware of them and try to do what we can to work with them. Rabbi Tuckman, God bless and thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon.